You are about to hear a message preached at Church One on the Gold Coast. To find out more about Church One, visit us on the web at churchone.com.au. And be sure to subscribe to these podcasts so you don't miss out on any new messages as they are available. Well, good morning. It's great to be back here. I've been, had the privilege of being to uh, of coming to Church One a couple of times over the years, and uh, but not in the school here, not in the premises here. But it's um, tremendous being able to come here with you today. Uh, Ted, thank you, uh, thank you for inviting me to come here. And I, I might add that Ted is also on the national leadership team of A2A, and God is doing really, really good things through our, our movement, and it's a it's fantastic having Ted there uh, for his input and also his friendship and support. Uh, we've got a fantastic national leadership team and uh, uh, we, we see churches across our nation that, that are in our, our movement, we see them changing. We see them getting more missionally engaged with their communities. Uh, we see them grappling what it is uh, to truly make disciples and not just have, have people who come to church or are part of church. And we see faith deepening across our movement. God is doing such a good work and and Ted is also playing just such an important role for that. So, you know, I just want to, to really honour Ted uh, for the role that he's playing with A2A. Now, today I want to talk to you about um, the topic of giving. No one's got up and left yet. That's really, really good. I was just, just bracing myself, actually. But in, in Christian living, you know, we, we often hear about giving, don't we, and generosity. And we know that God loves a generous giver. It goes right through to, to the heart of God when we're, when we're generous with, with what he has given us. But what most people haven't really thought about is how to plan their giving and the principles that actually surround their giving. And so, to, so today, I want to talk about uh, some kingdom principles from First Chronicles chapter 29. And they're going to be five principles in relation to the giving. But before I do that, and if we could just have the second slide, thanks. Before I do that, I want to give you a bit of a backdrop. First Chronicles 29 tells the story of when King Solomon was about to build the temple and uh, his father David wanted to be a part of it. Now, David, it wasn't up to David to build the, the temple, but he, he so much wanted to be a part of it. He didn't want to be left out. It had been his dream to build a temple, but God passed over him and gave a task to someone else who was his son. Uh, it was a God, and, and I guess one of the things that came out of a conference from one of our speakers, and that is that a God-given vision should always uh, outlive the visionary who actually has it. In other words, there's, it's like a, a baton to be passed down through the ages, through the times, and I, I totally believe that. And here we see this with David. It was in his heart to build a building, but the baton was passed to his son Solomon. So even though David knew that he wasn't the one to build it, he signed up to be part of doing all that God um, wanted him to do so that he could see this vision become a reality. And that's because his heart was totally and utterly invested in what God was calling to happen. His heart was invested. It wasn't just his backside where he was going along to the temple and sitting down. But whenever he came through that door, wherever he went, his heart was invested in the things of God. Now, I see such a parallel here uh, with the church vision. Uh, you may not be one God is calling to lead the charge in, in, in leading the church or building a building. 
But that doesn't mean that your heart shouldn't be invested in it. And I think God is looking for people where it's not just the senior leader or senior leaders who really, uh, really are invested in it. It's the whole congregation, the whole church. And I think you're going through a really exciting phase. You know, before we built our building, um, which was 12 years ago, we had 13 years in a school gymnasium. You'd never have any idea what that was like, of course, being in a school gymnasium and doing the, the pack-ups and the pack-downs every day. My oldest son, Jonathan, spoke at our 25th anniversary service just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he led the service and did a wonderful job. But he talked about his uh, memories of the, the uh, church back in the gymnasium, and he had a photo put up on the, the screen. And so he was only about, uh, about three or four when we planted the church, and the photo was of a trailer. And that symbolized to him uh, what church was all about for those early years with the set-ups and the pack-ups and the set-downs and the pack-downs and, and all of that type of thing. Uh, it was an important part of shaping us. You know, God takes us through uh, different parts of the journey and into the wilderness at times and, and different places to shape us. And it shaped us. And your, your time here uh, in the gymnasium is a shaping time for you. It's not your final destination. God wants to take you further, but this is an important part of the journey. And I want, you to, I want you to know that I'm not aware of any churches around Australia that have really got on to that next stage in temporary facilities. Uh, and I think it's, it's because Australians want to see uh, that you've put down your roots somewhere. And so having a permanent facility is absolutely essential, but it's not for, it's not for yet. And so there's a journey to get to, uh, to get there. But that's, that's a, a destination that you have. Now, I've got to also remind you that the, the building is never the vision. The building is always there to serve the vision. Because otherwise, you build a building or you occupy a building, that's your vision completed. You might as well all go home to glory now because the vision's done. It's over, it's over and done with. No, the, the, the building here is a tool. The building is not a holy thing. It's a tool that's here to serve a holy purpose. Amen? So, coming back to um, where we're going. What have we got on the screen? We've got the, the temple up there. By the way, has anyone ever been to the Vatican City in Rome? Yeah? Have you been inside the Sistine Chapel? Did you know that the Sistine Chapel was actually built to the dimensions of Solomon's Temple? So, yeah, it was. It was. So if you get the chance to go to Rome at any stage, go into the Sistine Chapel. Um, it's just quite awe-inspiring when you realise this is actually the same size as Solomon's Temple when you're there. So David was a bystander in a way, but he wanted to be more than a bystander. Even, even um, though it was his son Solomon who was going to be building the temple, David knew that he had an important role to play. Now, if we go to the next slide, we see in Romans 12, 4 to 5, it talks about whole body ministry. And the passage says that just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And I think one of the things that you get out of this passage is it takes all of us together to do what God has called us as a church to, to be and to do. So here are the five kingdom giving principles from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, the first one is identification. 
The question is, whose house am I building? Now, the passage here in, in verse 1 says, then, then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for yeah, but for the Lord God. That's who it was for. So, who was the building being built for? Is, is a, are you guys about to set on a, a journey to build a, a building for Ted and Amanda? No. <laughs> That's really, really clear. You've got to make sure you understand that. Because if you think that you're doing something for your pastor, they then become uh, the object of worship in a way. They also then become the object of dissatisfaction if things don't work out right. No, it's, it's, it's for our Lord that you're actually doing it. And, and as a part of his church, part of his people, we're here not because of Ted and Amanda, although God has ordained them to play an incredibly valuable role as your leaders, absolutely. But you, you're here because of him and you're on a journey because of him and you're here to build his house, not just the physical building, but the house of the church, the body of the people of the church for him and to play your role in doing that. See, God has placed you in this house, this church, and he's called you to support the vision of the church in any way that you can, including with your finances. Now, Romans 12.8 tells us that, that in his body, he gives some of you with a gift of giving. Uh, and if you've been given with, gifted with a gift, guess what he wants you to do? Use it. Now, use that gift. If you've got the gift of encouragement, You'll stand out by the way that you encourage and exhort people. If you've been given the mercy gifting, you'll stand out by the compassion that you show. If you've given leadership gifting, God wants you to stand out, not just in the business world, but in, in the church world as well, serving and leading with all humility and love and gentleness. If you've been given a teaching gift, he wants you to use that teaching gift. And if you've been given the gift of giving, the bad news is he wants you to dig deep. And if he's given you the, uh, the gift of giving, there's a very, very good chance that he's also given you the ability or the giftedness required to accumulate those resources as well. But, but it's not just the wealthy that God asks to give. So we don't want to fall into the trap there. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, uh, where Jesus saw the widow uh, putting her money into uh, an offering? You know, the, the widow's might. He said, Jesus said, truly I tell you this, uh, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Hey, I'll tell you what happens when we do this. When we, we trust God with our money, we actually trust him with more than our money. We trust him with our lives. You know, it's often been said that the, the, most, the last part of a person to be discipled is their wallet. Isn't it? Because really our wallet is, uh, and the amount that we've got in our bank and the finances and the resources that we have means that I can do things. I can have a lifestyle rather than trusting God. You know, we, we trust what's in the bank account. And hey, my, my, my background is I'm a chartered accountant. And so with my training and all of that, it's, it's, it's natural to look at the, the bank account figures, the financial figures, to work out what uh, we can do, what we can't do. And there's wisdom in that, of course, isn't there? But I'll tell you what, facts should never overcome faith. And 
We often will make the mistake of limiting the vision that God gives us if the facts may determine our decisions rather than our, our decisions being faith-led and then looking at how looking at the facts as part of a plan. So giving is a matter of the heart and it's not a matter of the bank balance like with that, that woman. And Jesus warned how hard it was for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle. Uh, we know that, don't we? That he warned about that. And, and that's because our money can so easily take a hold of us rather than the other way around. You see, when our finances own us, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We're supposed to be able to use our finances without it actually owning us. In Australia and by world, by world standards, we're all wealthy. Uh, that's because very few of us need to worry about being able to obtain fresh water, food, shelter or medical attention. Now, there's a, a guy who um, I knew some years ago. His name was Terry. And this is a bit of a warning. Terry was an American, still is an American, and he sold his business for about $200 million uh, in America. And he wanted to be incredibly generous with that money. So he set up a foundation and put virtually all of that money into the foundation. But then he used that money to try and buy ministries and to control ministries. And so it became like a power, uh, to a, a powerful tool that he actually used. Instead of actually releasing the money to be the blessing, he was actually using the money to try and bring a blessing to himself. And I think the wealthier we are, the more the temptation it is to actually use money for our, our own purposes. You know, I I'm, have a privilege of knowing many very, very wealthy people. I know some billionaires as an example. And um, uh, some are incredibly generous, but a lot of them have a kingdom perspective, but they'll give a, a tiny, a portion of their excess, a portion of their surplus, but they won't give sacrificially. And they, the fact of being stewards, um, I've got to look after the money and steward it, uh, tends to have taken over from this having a true spirit of generosity. And I find that really sad. Now, I ask myself the question, if Jesus was coming back tomorrow and, uh, or today and he looked at our, our investments, he looked at all that we had, how would we actually face up to him? Well, we could say, well, Lord, I tried to invest it as best as I possibly could to get a, a higher interest return. I don't think he'd be that impressed with that because the true kingdom investment is actually investing in ministries which you'll see souls saved and disciples made and churches planted and the gospel spread across the face of this earth and that's the test that's the ultimate test with our resources whose house are we building whose house so the second point the second principle is devotion and the question here is what am i giving well david says in my devotion to the temple of my god I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I've provided for this holy temple. You see, David was totally devoted to building God's house. And he was so devoted that he wasn't holding back. He was a steward of the resources God had given him rather than an owner. Now, it's really important to understand the difference between being a steward and an owner. You see, a steward, uh, an owner says, what I have is mine, I own it, I deserve it, and I'll decide what I do with what I own. Whereas a steward says, 
It's all yours, God. I've been looking after it for you. Here it is. It's yours. How do you want me to use this for you? You see, an owner holds their resources tightly. A steward holds them lightly. An owner puts their trust in what they have, but a steward puts their trust in God and what he has. An owner will hoard and protect their resources, but a steward will direct God's resources to where they can be used for God's purposes. Devotion. What am I giving? The third principle is satisfaction. And the question here is, what is my attitude to giving? You see here in these two passages, uh, the satisfaction that David had. He said, then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribes of, tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work, what does it say? They gave willingly. And then the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David, the king, also rejoiced greatly. You know, there's absolutely a thrill in, in giving. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 actually says that each of you shall give whatever you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. You see, with our finances, what comes first is, is the devotion of our heart to him and our finances will follow. It's not about giving our finances first with a bad attitude. God doesn't want that. Yeah, he'll use our finances, but he wants our heart. He wants your hearts. He wants heartfelt giving. Now, our satisfaction is an indication of our motivation, the reason why we give. Now, just in our own personal experience, when, when we decided how to build our building, it's called the Tauray Centre back in Monsters in Tasmania, uh, we'd miraculously acquired the land for a pittance. And that's a, an incredible story, but I don't have time to go into it here today. Uh, and then my wife Sharon came up to me, and um, she's, she's a very, very prayerful lady. And she came up to me and, and said, Tim, I've been thinking about the building. Before we go to the congregation, I think we have to actually give something. We have to lead the way here. And this is the amount that uh, I feel on my heart that we should give. There's a dollar sign and quite a few figures after that. And um, being the generous, faith-filled husband I am, I gave a godly response, I think I need to pray about this. <laughs> and of course, I was, I was hoping that in time, um, at time and with prayers, um, Sharon might have forgotten about it, or she uh, might change her mind or whatever, but no, she didn't. She didn't, she didn't, she didn't. And in time, I came to... Well, I came to, to think, yeah, I think this is what really what God's asking us to do. And I remember the day that I wrote out that check. And it was just one of the, the most joyous days of my life, to be honest. Um, I, I, I was totally unprepared for the joy that I received as I gave away a very, very large amount of money. Now, looking back, I see that the zone I entered that day was one where I acknowledged that I was a steward and not an owner, and that I was releasing God's money to help build his house. And so this leads on to the fourth principle. And the fourth principle is that of attribution. This is about the question, how did I get all that I have? Who do I attribute it to? The passage here, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? 
Everything comes from who? You. And we, are, we have given you only what comes from your hand. It's so true, isn't it? And then, Lord, our God, all of this abundance that we have provided for building your temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Yeah. Now, at the beginning of um, 1999, you see, my background was business. I, I planted a church with my wife in 1994. Um, there were just four of us that planted our church in, but I was full-time in the corporate world. And my uh, colleague uh, at the time, who I'm still on different boards with, um, still a great friend of, he and I built a business which ended up um, being an Australia-wide business, about 65 locations. And um, it was just an amazing, amazing ride. And I loved it. I loved doing what I was doing. But in 1999, I had one of those God moments that was nearly a week long. And God showed me stuff that was going to happen. And he showed me that by the end of the year, we'd no longer be in the business world full time. He showed me how much we'll be selling our business for. It was a ridiculous amount. It was in the tens of millions of dollars. And, you know, there was a bunch of us that were shareholders. We had quite a few of our staff as shareholders as well. But the thing was, we just had our company valued. And it was valued at like this level. And we sold it like this level. In fact, the valuation at the beginning of the year from there to what we sold it for in November was a bit over 10 times. So can you imagine having a house that you valued and, or bought or earlier in the year and then sold it later for a bit over 10 times that amount? That, that was our ride. You know, it was, it was, and just the, the individual parts of that journey were absolutely miraculous. But back on the 1st of March 1999, God showed me the exact figure uh, that I'd be, that would be selling it for, even though it wasn't valued at anywhere like that. And I remember I went into the office of one of my colleagues who was also a Christian and also a shareholder, and I wrote the figure uh, on his whiteboard. And that was what months later it actually went for. Now, let me ask you a question. With that miraculous occurrence happening, did getting a good price come from our smarts or from God's grace? Oh, I'm disappointed that you said, well, I thought you thought I was smart or something. <laughs> of course, it was God's grace. It was so abundantly clear. He showed us what was going to happen. He made it happen. He resourced us incredibly. But guess what he resourced us for? My comfort or his purposes? Yeah, well, he resourced us for his purposes. And, and that's exactly how we've used it. So, you know, it was clear to me that the money wasn't ours. Our opportunity and ability to make money did come from God. And the circumstances that multiplied the wealth came from Him. And even how you and I are wired, and the opportunities that we have, uh, and the giftedness that we have, it all comes from Him. You know, there's a passage in Malachi, chapter 3, where it talks about uh, testing Him and see if He won't open the floodgates of heaven. We know that passage? Yeah, you know how he opens the floodgates of heaven? I've never actually seen coins or notes come fluttering down, or credit cards even. I haven't seen that happen. But what he does, he gives us ideas and opportunities. And so that heavenly transaction that takes place happens uh, ideas and opportunities. And that's certainly what he did. You know, there's a, a passage in Deuteronomy 8, chapter 17 and 18, uh, which says this. It says, be careful not to say... 
my own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. You must remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives ability to get wealth. Friends, pride sets against God. We will want to do things. Um, you know, we will want to do things to build a name for ourselves or to build a house for ourselves. But God's asking you not to build a house for yourselves, but to build a house for him that he invites you into. It's such a big difference. You know, the story of the Tower of Babel tells of the people who wanted independence from God so much that they wanted to be like God. So they built a mighty tower to show, to show how great they were. And they then started to draw people to themselves. And they made a name for themselves. But it wasn't about pointing glory to God. And it wasn't about drawing people to him. And that's what pride does. That's why God hates pride so much. He sets himself against the proud. But the humble, the humble will always find a place in his open arms. Now, it's a trap that we can so easily fall into when we don't acknowledge that what we have comes from God because of his grace rather than because of us deserving it. You know, instead of wanting us to become, uh, instead of wanting us to become great, God actually wants the reverse to happen. He wants us to die to self. At the conference, Pastor Oscar um, illustrated this beautifully, and he talked about whether we're really dead to self yet. And, you know, if, if something happens and we feel a bit of pain and we feel a twinge in our heart, we know often that we're not quite dead to self. And he talked about an illustration of going into the morgue and poking a man with a needle, a dead body with a needle, and see there's no reaction. That's because that person's really dead. And that's, that's what God wants us to be like. So that no matter what happens, we don't feel those twinges of bitterness or envy or greed or anything like that. But we're his. We're just his. See, God has given us what we have because he wants us to use it for his purposes on earth. He wants to return what he has given us. He wants our time. He wants our talents. And he wants our treasures to be in his hands so that he can direct what he has given us. Now, it's, a, it's such a great disappointment for me when I see you know, so many uh, businessmen who are Christians and they put all of their time, talents and treasures into building their businesses or other people's businesses. Now, I'm not against success, far from it. But, you know, God wants us to use what he has given us in the, in the church place as well as in the marketplace so that the giftedness, giftedness that we've given, the time, our resources are here made available to you, be used by him. The last point is that of examination. And the question here is, will you be faithful with what God has given you? And that's the big question for each and every one of us, isn't it? Will we examine our own heart? David said it like this, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All of these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people are here, are here have given uh, to you. 
put simply, God wants your heart. Not just what you can earn for the kingdom, not just want what you can do for the kingdom. He actually wants you. If he has your heart, he has everything else. You know, one of the most dangerous attitudes that I've encountered uh, is this. I don't have enough to be generous. Oh, yeah, I'll be generous when. I'll tell you, so many businessmen I've come across that say, when I have got to this level, I will then be generous. God's given me the gift of giving, um, and I'm going to be a resource arm for the kingdom. But I've yet to see one of those businessmen who talk about it in a future tense ever actually play that out. If we can't be generous with little, we're never going to be generous with much. Um, generosity starts right where we are, right here, right now. Generosity begins in the heart, not in the bank account. And the truth is that God wants you more than he wants your money. And if he truly has you, he'll have your money as well. Now, the dreams that I had as a businessman of living a, fin a life of financial independence over coming years faded away. My, I didn't come to faith till I was 26, by the way. So it was only a couple of years ago. Um, yeah, okay, okay. So my ambition was always to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. And um, that, was, that was the big goal. But as God got hold of my heart, I traded my financial independence to becoming dependent on God financially. And uh, that's what I want to challenge you guys to. I want to challenge you to see if you're prepared to take that step, to uh, go on that pathway. You see, Ted and the leaders here have got a big vision for this church, not just this church, but for the, literally the thousands of churches that can be planted out of this church. It's a kingdom vision. It's a vision which is, is far, far bigger than just the one generation. It's a vision which, uh, after Ted's an old man, uh, he'll be able to pass on to other people like uh, David did to Solomon. It's a vision straight from heaven. And you know what? It takes big-hearted people to actually get behind a vision like that and to become part of a vision like that, using your time, your talents, your treasures uh, to actually be part of that journey. And I guess my question is, do you want to be part of that journey? Do you really want to be part of that journey? Do you want to be passengers sitting on the bus and be taken somewhere? Or do you actually want to be people who are going on the journey, marching hand in hand with Ted? You know, in Exodus 17, we see Aaron and her go up the mountain with Moses. They weren't just passengers. They were there to hold his arms up to make sure that uh, what God had spoken to Moses and uh, about the, uh, the battle down below, to make sure it could be won. Ted and Amanda need people like Aaron and her who'll be there to hold up their arms and to support the vision so the vision can become a reality. Because the vision is far, far too big for one man or one family or even a, a small leadership team, the vision is too big for that. And so will you become part of that? Will you, will you give your heart to the vision of this place that God has given this place? Because the vision isn't what you see at the moment. The vision is something that you would not recognize if you were here 20 years time looking back. I've had the privilege of being involved in a ministry in, in Northern India amongst unreached people groups where I've been involved since the beginning. And the vision was huge. It was to see uh, 100,000 churches planted across unreached people groups by the year 2030. 
been involved in that ministry 21 years. I remember the first time I went to India with us, there was only a small number of churches. Guess what? We haven't got to the 100,000, but we have got to 30,000 churches. And we've seen over a million salvations, over a million baptisms take place. Now, that's India, but I want you to think about here and also the Philippines and other areas where you're going to be. Do you want to be part of a vision? Um, I, I just counted an indescribable privilege being on the journey. I'm not the key driver in this ministry in, in India, not, not by any means. But you know what? I'm a link in the chain. And you may just be a link in the chain to what God wants to do in this place. And you may be a link in the chain in ways that you don't even realize or understand. But in the, with the benefit of hindsight, you'll be able to look back over the years, look back over time and see, wow, this is amazing. Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Uh, God says, forget the former things. Forget where you've been. Uh, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Don't you just see it? And often the truth is we don't actually see the new thing because we're actually part of it. And it's often easier looking back or looking from outside in to see the new thing that actually is going on. But through eyes of faith, I want you to understand that God is doing a new thing here. And it's not just for this church. This church is going to be a, a, a training center and a, a missionary sending center, a church planning sending center. Um, we're going to 